no more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Welcome to Media and the End of the World. There's a there's a piece of music that is appropriate for that, by the way, for people who are uh, deep into the uh, world of creepy cult films, which was a 1970s version of the Dunwich Horror. Hmm. And I was telling somebody about this film yesterday because it's an insane piece of cinema. It's always really hard to do film adaptations of Lovecraft anyway. You know, because like, you know, depicting Cthulhu is kind of a, a tough racket, right? Or, you know, one of the other elder gods. So I think what they did when they made this film is like Dean Stockwell and the producer and the director got really high, like really messed up and then conceived the whole film as sort of like collision between pagan religions and kind of hippie culture. And then they hired Sandra D, who ends up actually being the uh, being potentially the person who's going to be impregnated by Cthulhu. So it's and it's an amazing so they did this kind of solarized effect and I think probably in 1973 or when the film came out they were like wow that really works. Yeah, there you, you, can, go. you can and you can actually find the whole film on Vimeo right now in our outfits. Okay. It'll be sitting there forever. But anyway, well, just watching the last 2 minutes and you'll go wow. Yeah, the 70s. Well, if things go your way then maybe we'll It'll be playing in the background as we talk about this right now. It, it could, because the music from it is definitely the, it's the music that would accompany the elder gods returning to Earth, bringing to end the dominion of humans. Naturally. So that would be the, uh, and hopefully we would be able to shoot it with our cell phones and and get it up on Twitter before we actually be, become, you know, emulsified by said elder gods. So. What, a, what a great start to, uh, <laughs> to episode lucky number 13. Oh, is that what we are? We're at 13. We're at 13. That yeah. is, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we, we've hit our teenage years. Uh-huh. We're uh, coming into our awkwardness quite well. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're be- beginning to like push the boundary of behavior and start to make those, that, that part where you're, you know, supposedly your brain is better at taking chances than judging that they're really dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, but there's uh you know, again, in the, in the wonderful mediated world we live in, never, 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 never do we run out of things that are worth uh, complaining about or looking at. At, arguing about or or uh, discussing again if if um, anyone listening has anything that they would like us to turn our attention to by all means drop us a note and uh, we'll we'll get to it absolutely yeah and we're we're, we're slowly seeing our subscription our subscription numbers rise in I, fact I, I like that word you just made up yeah subscription, subscription. yeah that's good right <laughs> <laughs> now I have to leave it in I could have edited it out right but now no, it's, no. it became this it's, well, it's an awesome word it's the, like uh, yeah part of the joke uh, awesome Freudian slip so. um the the interview episode number eleven I believe with Chris Gilliard is. Uh, quickly becoming our most listened episode mm-hmm. uh, well deserved yeah uh, I, I I hope that becomes a CV line item for Chris's <laughs> <laughs> the you know the, the top listened episode on media at the end of the world right 
and then they can go, "This is a what now?" Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm encouraged by that, and I thought Chris was was brilliant, and I think his ideas are extremely important. Only going to become more important as Facebook changes the way that That's people's right. news feeds work. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode where Mark Zuckerberg had, had put out kind of a, a vague announcement of we're going to be changing, uh, tweaking our algorithms where you see stuff that's quote unquote more important to you. As, um, he, as he tries to make the world a better place. That's right. Yeah. And we've, we've seen that um, be a little bit, bit more crystallized with some more recent blog posts. For, I don't know if they call them blog posts. They probably don't. It's probably just a Facebook post that Facebook puts out. I'm not quite sure. Um, where Facebook has decided that they're going to rate the trustworthiness of media organizations. And then you'll start to see things based off of Facebook's rating of trustworthiness. And I should pull, I, I need to pull up their post because I want, I want to quote this directly. Yeah. There's something about what they're also trying to do where you, uh, as a, as a user of Facebook, get to also make some decisions about what places you find trustworthy. Right. Which is, you know, I mean, in a way, it harkens back to the, uh, what was that, the the old, I think it was a Korean-centered site that was My News, where you could basically uh, control the feed, or anything else that basically uses an algorithm of your choice making to decide what they're going to show you more of, or what they're going to what they're going to leave out of it. So, um, <clears throat> of course, the, the 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 idea of trust and information sources is always at the center of this so you know we i think it's always good for us to ask ourselves why do we trust the sources we do why do we mistrust the sources we do what do we do when a trusted source uh does something that you know kind of betrays what you expect that they're going to do and what you find trustworthy in them and can they come back from that this is something i I found the quote that i wanted to read um this was pointed out by uh, Audrey Waters, uh, who writes at hackeducation.com. She's got a great weekly newsletter that comes out as well. And so this is from um, the newsletter number t- 249. But she pulled out a quote that uh, from the announcement that, sa- that where Zuckerberg says, we considered asking outside experts, which would take the decision out of our hands, but would likely not solve the uh, objectivity problem. So basically... They came up with what would actually have been a, 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 a fairly decent start, right, is to ask experts who study for a living uh, trustworthiness, right? Mm-hmm. But instead of decided, nah, I think we'll just make it up. Like, we'll, we'll figure it out ourselves and, and we'll, you know, we'll build the algorithm and let our users sort of have some, some minor interaction. Um, but the, 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 this is a major problem. Well, there's a, there, there actually you can find the entire survey online. And let me read it to you. Okay. okay. So this is not like reading mouse print. This is not going to go for a long time <laughs> because their trust survey consists of two questions. Oh, wow. Question one is, do you recognize the following websites? Yes or no. And then question two is, how much do you trust each of these domains? Entirely? A lot. Somewhat? Barely? Not at all. And that is the, uh, according to the, a Twitter post, the only version of the survey the company is using and that Facebook wrote the questions itself. And this appears in a uh, Engadget piece um, that uh, is getting involved in all of this uh, interesting stuff about that how Facebook crazy. is going to work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and maybe this, this would have worked in a 
pre-Trump era where, you know, the, the, the term fake news hadn't been uh, appropriated for his desires to have things written only positive, you know, th- things that are positive or real news, things that are negative or fa- is fake news. Like maybe, maybe then we could get a little bit more objectivity from, from user responses, mm-hmm. but we are not in a media landscape where I think people can clearly decide. I and mean, c- can you imagine, um, Trump calling on, uh, you know, his base, to go to the, this Facebook survey mm-hmm. and rate, say for instance, CNN as not trustworthy, <laughs> and then and then the choices would be, let's see, it would be, uh, how much do you trust this domain, CNN, and and the the, the you'd have to add the additional response, uh, so entirely a lot, somewhat barely, not at all. I am going to go shoot them all, right? Because somebody was planning yeah. on doing that this past week, which was actually kind of you know worth thinking that's about a, that's, a, that's a, that was a big story yeah, yeah um and correct me if i'm wrong this person was arrested yeah i think yeah yeah because yeah, word kind of got out that and they were pretty well armed i believe as yeah. these things sort of and, and this is this is this is why this rhetoric can be so concerning particularly for journalists and future journalists and we talked touched on this a little bit um but you know the more that you, that you try um, uh, to degrade media that you try to weaponize the idea of media, um, you know, the, the, the more harmful it can become to these people's well beings as well. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there are certainly places in the world, um, where, you know, journalists are killed on a regular basis mm-hmm. and it's an issue that we, uh, that we need to pay attention to, uh, sort of on that note, you know, Pope Francis went after the media. Really? This was really kind of striking, yeah. Um, he warned journalists, this is uh, from a Newsweek article from uh, the 17th of, of uh, December. Is that January? Yeah, no, that was December. He was, uh, Pope Francis warned journalists not to push sensationalized news stories that are incomplete, biased, or untruthful for the sake of quickness or profit. So, um, so that's the, and then I think there was something even more recently that he said, um, where Pope Francis, yeah, this is, um, from, uh, the guardian from today, uh, Pope Francis said that journalists should make it their mission to seek truth and resist sensational headlines. He denounced fake news as evil. This is a quote from the, from the guardian story, comparing it to the snake in the garden of Eden. (laughs) I love that. Um, and urge journalists to make it their mission to search for the truth. Hmm. I think that's, you know, I think that's uh, it's an interesting conversation that needs to take place. Yeah. Well, I, I also read today that um, uh, Britain has set up a task force to try to counteract fake news as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been that's been created um, and agreed upon by members of uh, the UK National Security Council. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's, you know, once again, it's important as, as, as boring and annoying as it is for us to, you know, take the time to learn what we can about what the bots are doing and what it means to have an international system where people can provide information that goes through the cycle. Uh, I was the story this morning that was talking about particular sources, same source recommending Sanders in the early part of the election, then Trump in the middle and then Hillary Clinton at the end. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's the same source because, and part of it is, you know, the part of it is the process that these things can be monetized and, and then, you know, and, and then basically it doesn't matter. That's kind of what the Pope is criticizing to some extent is when it becomes something that's completely driven by the economics of it rather than the sure. truth value of it. Yeah. So I, I also would like comments. just one other little thing about the Pope, because it was remarkable. There's a video one can find online of uh, his uh, motorcade bumped into a woman on a horse and 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 knocked her off accidentally. His, you know, the Pope. This sounds like a setup to a joke. This is, no, this is not. This is, no, this is actually a setup to kind of a cool. Thing. <laughs> All right. So, so, have, so have, Pope's going and he, Pope's, he, Pope's he, going down the road. There's a cop on a horse, horse okay. and the, the horse. I don't know if the horse. It didn't look like the Pope mobile swerved. They were going kind of straight, but I think the horse might have swerved is that i don't know if you can call i'm not a horse person so i don't know if you can call what a horse does swerving but in any event it kind of dodged to the right <laughs> into the pope mobile maybe the horse was mad at the pope uh, because of some of the you know uh, yeah. problems that he's been dealing with and knocked the knocked the, the the police woman off the horse she fell to the ground and was knocked unconscious and and you know, Pope dudes pulls over the, I mean, they stop the Pope mobile and he climbs down and runs over to where the uh, woman is on the ground, which is kind of awesome, right? Because, yeah, you know, this isn't yeah. really his job. He's not, uh, as far as I know, he's not a medevac person or anything no. like that. But then the cool part is then they interview the cop in the hospital and she said, I was on the ground, I was unconscious and I woke up and everybody was standing around and the Pope was there. Yeah. <laughs> That's very... Very Wizard of Oz, yeah, like but yeah. I think that's why people like Pope Francis. I, mean, I, I think yeah. so too. Yeah. In, in fact, I, I do have a um, a uh, rosary blessed by the Pope that I'm sending to a relative as a mm. gift, who for whom these things are very important, a Catholic person. And you know, when we were when when I purchased it, I was talking to a friend about how that happens. Well, yeah, I was in Rome, and that's where I bought the rosary. But you know, how does like I mean, I, it's it, there's so many yeah. of them. He can't be picking up each one. So does he bless like a truck? Or yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Is, is it sort of like, you know, uh, approvals by our board of regents? Right. Just, they say, you know, do you approve everything in, in this thousand yes. page document? And the answer is yes. yes. And move on. Yes. That's yeah. And yeah. So, so maybe he just, you know, he walks into a room and does one big blessing. And, right. Yeah. I, yeah, I, have, I'm, I, I would be interested in knowing exactly yeah. how that happens. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe we can we can we can find a guest out there that can that can tell us about how, that, how this works. And, one one other thing that I'd like to suggest that that uh, it, and I'd be interested to hear whether people think this is worth talking about. But I'd like to go in. I, I think one of the things about understanding how media works, you know, we have access to some people here at the University of Oklahoma who've worked in the media industries, and I think getting some information from them about how stories are sourced, for example, I think would be very mm -hmm. useful for people to understand because I don't. Think, I think that that is, you know, one of the things that can work against sort of the the breeding of cynicism that comes with the fake news world is to understand more about how these media processes work. Right. So, you know, as boring as, as the details might be, we can come up with exciting stories about yeah. how that actually works. That's good. Got the first source, but I couldn't get the second source, yeah. so I couldn't publish, you know. Or, well, let's not make this episode totally about planning for no. future episodes. No, no, no. <laughs> no we don't we are, do we are uh, as we've mentioned before, in the midst of award season, the Oscar nominations have come out, and we will talk about those. But I want to talk about a movie that um, I believe had got some Oscar nominations, but uh, is definitely not a critic darling film, and that is The Greatest Showman. It is, uh, yeah, that is a thing. It yeah. is, uh, I haven't seen it yet. You have, so you have to tell me. 
you know, we don't want to. I, well, I, I don't care if you spoil it. I kind of know how it ends. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. Well, so um, I will give sort of my, my. I think my my position has been slowly changing over it. So so I I was really excited for it going in. I'm a fan of musicals. Um, I liked La La Land. That might be a hot take, but I liked La La Land. Uh, and the uh, two guys who wrote the lyrics for La La Land, not the music, but the lyrics, wrote all of the music for The Greatest Showman. So that was a, a good start for me going in. Um, I would say I was you know slightly underwhelmed seeing the film itself. Uh, and we can talk about some of its historical inaccuracies that kind of uh, took, took away from the movie for me. But... I pulled up the soundtrack while walking across campus the other day, and the soundtrack is so good. I mean, it is really good. If you're in, you gotta, it's, it's, it holds very well traditional musicals, but it's got a real pop sensibility that you usually don't see uh, from musicals, um, uh, particularly big Hollywood musicals as well. So, they, there's apparently a song called "This Is Me," which was there, uh, was not was an Oscar nominated. It, yeah, and I believe it won the Golden Globe for best yeah. song. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a, it's a great song. It's a great anthem. There's there's a good message. Now the history that they they pulled, the, you know, a lot of the message is about uh, embracing individuality, embracing yourself, embracing differences in others, right? Um, which is it? Which is a good. 21st century message. The problem is, is that it's done at the expense of essentially exploitation, right? And the story is about P.T. Barnum um, and his rag to riches story and uh, ultimately building a circus and hiring uh, freaks and oddities of people, basically, um, and exploiting them for his own capital gains. And the story is sort of like how I think, you know, there's one line where uh, someone is talking about where where, you know, he's always being made fun of. And and P.T. Barnum's response is, well, you know, might as well get paid while you're getting made fun of. Right. (laughs) It's like, oh, gosh. But I mean, that's uh, that's that's sort of what it is. And it doesn't really go into that. I mean, basically, the story is he built a circus. Um, you know, all is all is good in the end, and I won't I won't give away sort of the the main plot details um, for those who want to see it. Um, but I, but it doesn't go into the harsh realities of of some of these people that that were involved in this, um, and it it makes it a very uh, clean, sanitized movie. So I think that's that's where a lot of the criticism has been has been made about the movie. It doesn't it doesn't hold incredibly well to uh, the historical accuracy of the story, but the music is really really good. The soundtrack is really really good. Um, the the movie shot really well. It's not over overdone again for a Hollywood musical. Um, I was reading an article on the Atlantic, which was talking about the box office success. And, um, interestingly, the greatest showman had had a really poor week one showing, um, for, uh, for a movie of its size. It brought in 8.8 million, uh, the week of December 20th, um, which they basically decided it was probably all but dead. But because people have really enjoyed the experience of seeing this musical, 
Um, it has continued to see growth at the office, uh, box office week after week. And uh, the, the article in The Atlantic, which is written uh, by David Sims, titled The Astonishing Success of the Greatest Showman, does a really good job of explaining um, how, how, how people translate box office numbers into success by a term in which uh, is called a multiplier. And so basically a multiplier means how much money did you end up at the box office total versus what you made on the first week. So that first week is really important uh, for how people predict what you'll end up seeing uh, box office wise. Uh, and he talks about, he says like a, a solid multiplier is about a three, which is what Beauty and the Beast uh, did, uh, the latest Beauty and the Beast. So it brought in $174 million when it opened, uh, and it made $504 million over its entire run, right? So these week one weekends are really, really big. So that's about a three times multiplier. A, a very good multiplier would be like a four, uh, and Wonder Woman and Coco are both examples of something that got a four. What's interesting about Greatest Showman is it at right now its current multiplier is a 13, right? And that only goes up as they earn more money. Um, and the only movie to have a larger multiplier than The Greatest Showman currently is Titanic. So that's it. Like that, I mean, yeah. you know. Um, so th- there are very few movies that do poorly in the in the their first weekend and stick around long enough to actually make movies and i don't know if it was this article if it was another one that was talking about this but the but another point that it makes is um you know this was a, this was a big risk to take as a music uh, as a movie i believe the budget was around 90 million uh fox uh uh you know basically ended up biting on Hugh Jackman's idea this was really his movie that he wanted to do um and fox finally said okay let's do that uh one of the concerns that that is being talked about is as disney has bought fox you know how many more original big budget screenplays are we going to get to see because if you look at box box office numbers all the other really big movies of the year uh as it relates to 2017 were either sequels or children's movies right mm-hmm. like that's basically the only thing and what seems to be really playing in the box office so how do you still continue to be successful uh doing originals sort of at, at least outside of what we expect that we'll always see we'll always see uh not always but we'll, we'll continue to see a lot of original screenplays for the award season right for right now for the for the more serious uh right. dramas but will we continue to see them in sort of this big budget space so lots of lots of good arguments to be made there yeah there there's been some discussion also surrounding the release of the film about you know some of the legacies of the freak shows and some yeah. of what happened and people there's there's been historians doing really interesting work about the 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 living conditions of some of the people that were involved in it um, there were two African American brothers um, who I believe had, you know, sort of that um, kind of differentiated color um, skin. Um, uh, it was their appearance, and so that they were, um, and they were from a rural area, and they were brought into the sideshow. And um, depending on how you want, I mean, to some extent, these people kind of lost their freedom. Yeah. Know, for one reason or another, uh, I mean, because they got involved in the business or it became their only way of living or they were, you know, in the case of these brothers, they were removed from home and they were uh, told things that weren't true about how their mother didn't care about them anymore. I think they might have even been told at one point that she was dead. And wow. um, then they did eventually reunite later on. 
Um, but there's, yeah, there's some really interesting, messy stories involved in all that. And, um, you know, fortunately, I think one of the other encouraging things in our culture is we're realizing how dehumanizing yeah. that that can be. So, um, well, and as we know, you know, the, the Ringling Brothers Circus doesn't exist anymore. They had their, their last show in May of 2017. So that is that that is not something that's that's currently in right. existence. And these are not the things you should think about when you're going to see a musical, I would guess. No. Unless you're going right. to see, right. you know, Sweeney Todd or Yeah. <laughs> um but like I mentioned, uh it's it, I I think it's worth going to see certainly if anything for the theater experience, particularly I, I'd love to go to one of these sing along events. If it comes to uh, a market near me, um, those are, those are becoming really popular. They're now sort of releasing it with, with captions where you can sing along. And this is one of been one of their big marketing uh, ploys is they've had some of the actors show up at some of these sing along events and theaters. And then they've released these videos awesome. on YouTube yeah. of watching the crowd kind of singing, singing and dancing and really getting into it. Yeah. And then seeing one of the, one of the actors get involved as well. So uh, the gay and lesbian entertainment critics association gives an annual award for the, it's called the Dorian award and it is for the campy flick of the year. Uh-huh. And there are five films now. This would be like a great, so what five films now? We already, since I'm mentioning it, you know, The Greatest Showman is one of them. Sure. But what else do you think that's been released this past year is, is would be a good uh, competitor for Campy Flick of the Year? Oh, I don't know. You you won't be shocked by most of these. Okay. So in alphabetic, well, I guess this is right, roughly Baywatch, <laughs> right? Uh, Mother which was kind of an insane thing mm-hmm. all on its own. Uh, the Disaster Artist. Yeah. And I, Tanya. I, Tanya. Yeah. Which, you know, again, this is sort of like, camp is a very complicated idea, I yeah. think. And I think getting getting one's head around it uh, the, is kind of an interesting thing. Just, you know, as a reference point there, Campy TV Show of the Year nominees are Dynasty. <laughs> Which I can't believe they're making again. Riverdale, Will and Grace, Feud, and RuPaul's Drag Race. So, um, mentioning I Tanya gave me. I wanted to give a, a quick shout out. So, um, to another podcast, which is the New York Times Daily, uh, who did so they they did a, a really fantastic piece on uh, Tanya Harding. Uh, or Tanya Price, her married name, last month, and then they they turn it into a podcast. Uh, for to what is the the podcast for January twenty fourth, and it's a, a fifty minute podcast where basically they bring in the journalist who did the the interview with her, uh, and it's a really interesting the 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 article itself. Basically, she flies out uh, to Oregon to meet with Tanya, and basically spends a day with her and uh, having some drinks and kind of learning about her life, and uh, ultimately coming to the conclusion that she has no idea what she can and can't believe that comes out of Tanya Harding's <laughs> mouth because. She can, you know, she does, um, uh, you know, contradict a lot of her own words, um, but she feels very sympathetic for her as a, as a human. So it's a really good conflict heavy story that she did, but it's been now produced as a podcast, which mm-hmm. is a really, really great listen. And I would, I would recommend that. And I will, I'll put a link to that in our, our show notes. That, that would be, I think, awesome. I'm, I'm, I actually haven't seen it yet. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It Some, there was some controversy among some friends of mine about uh, the way it treated, um, domestic abuse, whether, you know, whether it was actually taking that situation seriously enough. Yeah. But But the movie, the movie is Tanya Harding approved. 
Yes. That's, it has this stamp on it. Yeah. So I have a trivia question for you. Okay. Okay. So so uh, there you are, Adam. You are going to see who's your favorite comedian. Like, who would you actually go see perform in a live space? Because uh, well, who I'd love, I, I haven't seen, but I'd love to see. I mean, I'd love to see Jerry Seinfeld. I've never seen Jerry Seinfeld. Okay, all right. So there you are. You've bought your tickets. It wasn't cheap because we're talking Jerry yeah, Seinfeld, right. right? This is why I haven't and seen Jerry Seinfeld. a couple Seinfeld. thousands of you, right? <laughs> we're going to go hear Jerry Seinfeld cut-wise. And you get in the line and you show them your ticket. And then you take a few more steps and somebody walks up to you and says, would you put your cell phone in this? And they hold out to you a little gray pouch. And... That you put your cell phone in, and they click it shut and say here and hand it back to you, and then you're welcome to go inside. And you can't unlock that until you leave. Now, Jerry, this is this is quote unquote the fictional Jerry Seinfeld we're describing, has decided that this is a way for him to protect his material so it's fresh, right? So that videos of Jerry's latest wisecracking kind of material doesn't accidentally leak out onto the internet. His, and, his joke that's like. What's the deal with these gray yeah. pouches that they're giving out at, at comedy shows now? It's gray. Yeah. It's a pouch. Uh, it's okay. Well, I got my own. It's it's big enough to put a cell phone in it, but nothing else. You yeah. know? I, 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 is I it can't. big enough for, a, for <laughs> yeah. like one of the six pluses or whatever? I can't put my keys in yeah, it. I can't yeah. put my money in it. Well, well this, is, this is a real thing that is happening now. It's not. It, I haven't experienced this myself yet, but in the uh, new issue of Wired, there's a startup called uh, Yonder, and I, I was kind of mentioning to, to Adam earlier that... I think the idea of whatever it is you're going to do in the digital world, whatever you're going to call it, drop a vowel, and that's <laughs> and that's how you're going to. So it's it's uh, Y O N D R yonder. Mm. I guess they technically dropped two vowels the, as these things. Yeah, go. Yeah, makes the domain cheaper apparently. Yeah. And so what they what they've done is they did. You know, there was a person who did some investigation, found this material, had some manufactured, and so basically the cell phone is. I, it can't be found because it's inside of this this pouch that keeps it, you know, uh, off the internet. And so it's like an interesting question because in the digital world, you know, uh, this seems kind of weird. And in the in the Wired article, which I'd recommend, it's it's quite good actually. It raises a lot of the interesting issues about free speech that are connected to this, right? So uh, one of the things that they point out, for example, is Hannibal Barras is using this at his. Very much as the fictional Jerry Seinfeld would have wanted to, to keep his material from hitting the internet and and not being new anymore, uh, but Hannibal Russ was was also the person who his joke about Bill Cosby going viral was what yeah. essentially opened up the Bill Cosby case and turned it around the way that it did. So it'd be a really interesting different world if the gray pouches had existed back then and and Barras was you know kind of protecting that information. So that's one for. What do you think about this idea? Oh, it's a good, it's a good question. So we had uh, this is something I've been thinking about for a little bit. We had Jack White perform on campus. When was that? Three or four years ago, and he requested that nobody take pictures in the concert. And I mean, obviously, people still did, but for the most part, he didn't. And he, t- and he talked about that. Ex- you know, from stage, he talked about the experience. And um, I, I guess I've I've noticed within the last. I, it's interesting to see. I believe that events have started to pop up that solely exist for the idea of you taking your picture 
at the event. As an example, um, color runs, mud runs, right? Like these seemed like events that are that are you know what I would call an Instagrammable experience. The whole deal is that you get shot with a bunch of different colors, right? It during a five k, it makes absolutely no <laughs> sense. Um, and the the whole the whole idea is that you can post it on Instagram later, uh, promote the brand of the color run, and you know, uh, look halfway fit, you know, doing, doing so. So like, um, and I think probably from an artist perspective, you start to go through the question of, is someone coming to experience my art, whether it's comedy, uh, whether it's poetry, whether it's music, whatever it is, whether it's a film, um, or are they coming for the experience of saying that they were at the experience of my art, right? Mm -hmm. But they're they're not fully engaging in it because they're holding up, uh, you know, a cell phone the whole time or... Uh, I don't see it as much as often as I used to, but like you'd see people like literally hold up an iPad. Right? Like, it's like this is this necessary uh, at a at a concert to be holding this up the whole uh-huh. time. Yeah. Um, and and I I do think there are some some artistic experiences that probably don't need to be mediated with a screen in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say the, the the most aren't themselves. Um, now, do I believe? technology needs to exist you know to stop this or like how how, i think it'd probably be better if we just made it more of a cultural norm that it's not a nice thing to do to be you know pulling out and filming every single thing that's going on every Uh every single point in life um yeah and there and you know there are occasionally like great levels of cooperation when kate bush came out of essentially retirement for a long time to do a a, what was actually a fairly brief set of live shows because she hadn't appeared and people had been desperate to see her and you know she basically had let them know in advance i'd really like you not to shoot video and put it online because it it it's something that for me destroys the atmosphere of the whole thing and there's a little online but it was mostly respected i mean i think most people didn't follow up on that um but part of what's interesting about it also in addition to what you're saying about you know sort of like the verification of having been at the real event is other situations where um the idea of cell phones can be potentially problematic so in in the wired article it goes into talking about um, courtrooms where you yeah. have an undercover police officer who's testifying at somebody's trial, and um, you know the the judges have a, a hard time trying to control people shooting vid- video or shooting digital images of these people and basically outing them. So, um, so there, uh, I think it's in Philadelphia, as the article was talking about, they've they've actually started using these pouches in the court system for people to go in, and one of the judges is commenting, you know, there's also the idea that you want them to listen and pay attention and yeah. not get distracted. Yeah. There are some public schools that are using it sure. to sort of take that, take that out. So it's, you know, it's a question of uh, in in all of our lives, under what circumstances do we wish we, you know, had to stick our phone and or that everybody around us had to do that in order to get back to you know the value of a face to face conversation. Yeah. Um, because it's just taking it's taking us a lot longer to learn how to be polite in in society with these devices than it is to learn how to use them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, every every my in my experience and talking about it with students and everything, every little social group has its own 
kind of ethics code for you sure. know, what is. The funniest one I ever heard, <laughs> and I don't know how widespread this is, but that um, everybody puts their cell phones in the middle of the table, and the first person to grab theirs and try to do something with it has to pick up the check. Ah, <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I've and I've read that there's a recent trend in dumb phones, right? People are almost like wanting to go back to to leave the smartphones. And I did find myself one time um, in front of like a rack of uh, essentially burner phones, you know, at at, at, a, at a at a mega store. Like one time, just like like looking at like, I mean, how easy would it be just to like get this flip phone and, and, you know, figure out how much it costs to put some minutes on it or whatever. And then this just be what I roll with. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I also appreciate the connectivity and the camera and everything else that comes sure. with the, the value. Yeah. It's become so it's much so, more than what it was. It really, yeah. It really has. And so on the other hand, we could entrepreneurially start a business of selling unlocking devices for these things. There you go. <laughs> And apparently, again, one of the things it mentions in the article that I thought was hilarious was that, you know, they they usually, if you need to use the phone, you can go out and they'll unlock it and you can use it. But then you have to use it in this kind of roped off area that is the way they say in the article, the size of a bathroom. Yeah. And then people walk by you like going, can't they just forget their phones for two hours? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I guess my my biggest hope is that people have a plenty of plenty enough advance notice that this is going to be part of it. I can't imagine um, going to event, say, say I'm going to an event and I know that I'm, 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 you know, waiting for a call from a specific person. Right. And then coming to find out that I actually might not be able to see that because I now have to put my, my phone in a bag or some, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know. No, if, if it, again, if it's sort of like the, 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 always the media literacy lesson is that, you know, the actual moment where something happens like that may not give you the greatest insight into what it means, but it's sort of like, as you think about it going into and coming out of and going, well, you, so what does this mean for free expression? What does this mean for, or, you know, your ability to determine where and when you can communicate. Right. And, and, and what are, what are potential, potential alternative motives for putting something together like that? Right. Because if they know that uh, customer number one has bag number two and they have an ability to track something like that as well. I mean, you know, there, there are ways in which people can be uh, surveilling uh, where everyone is in the venue. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think I think I think this is likely something that where intentions are good. But I'd, I'd be concerned about the the long term implications of here. Put your device that can be easily tracked into the the, uh, you know, something that I own yeah. and while while you're in my presence, basically, <laughs> while you're in my space. Well, part of it, just because of that whole process for various reasons, reminded me of there. And this happens in at least two films. Well, it's, it happens in Dune and then it happens in Phantasm, who kind of borrowed the idea from the novel Dune, um, that there's a, you know, a pain box that you have to put your hand in. And the more you fear, the more pain you experience. And once you've removed all fear of the pain, the pain goes away. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting little little mental lesson. One thing I wanted to talk about 
um, was I read an article uh, in uh, CJR, the Columbia Journalism Review, uh, from Pete Vernon with the headline, uh, is is the, the press paying enough attention to the biggest scandal in sports? And he writes uh, a lot about, and, we, and you've likely seen uh, the testimony that Ali Raisman gave um, for uh, the uh, Michigan State gymnast coach um, who was also involved with uh, USA Gymnastics, uh, Dr. Larry Nassar, um, because that was a really, really powerful video. Uh, the New York Times printed uh, the entire testimony in full in which she gave in front of him, basically you know, telling him that this is, uh, this is our story. Um, I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor, and I'm not going to rest uh, until, um, you know, until... So things play out the way we feel like we feel like they should, uh, and I, I believe I read from the most recent count is 144 women, 144 former gymnasts are going to be giving these public testimonies. I mean that is an a crazy number. Um, I should, basically, basically yeah. the art. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention that as we are talking right now, and as you're listening to this, the you will know what the result of the sentencing was. But Nasser is actually addressing the court right now. Oh wow! And there was a there was actually a hilarious moment from a couple of days ago, as they were kind of going into this victim confrontation phase, where he had complained to the judge that he didn't know if he would be able to emotionally tolerate being confronted uh, by that many accusers and the judge's response was just hilarious i mean it's just like you know the, very difficult to generate any sympathy whatsoever for for uh this person so that that didn't happen yeah yeah um you know and, and the argument is is we're we're living in a world where w the the drama that's playing out in washington just sucks up so much attention from media that stories like this don't make it i mean i i remember very clearly um and uh it happens to be because of the time it happened within my life as well um uh but uh but the jerry sandusky scandal mm -hmm. at penn state i mean that was the leading nightly story for a week as things unfolded uh, at Penn State, and it was a much more elevated story. Um, and part of the argument that Pete, that Pete makes is, um, you know, potentially it's because uh, gymnastics is not the sport that college football is. That um, gymnastics is something that often only uh, captures our attention for one week every four years, and so. Uh, we don't think about it enough, and maybe that's why it's not getting as much play, or or maybe it's the media climate that we're in. Um, we don't know, but it's certainly it's certainly a story where it's it's got it's got attention, but it's a it's a much it's a probably probably a bigger story than we're we're giving it. Time. It's yeah, I mean the, there are um, because of the way the media reacts to how information comes out, so the sentencing will be a big story. Um, which will, you know, again, will have happened by the time you're listening to this. Um, and that gives it some focus. But it's very difficult, a story like, say, for example, uh, the, you know, the effect of concussions on, on children who are playing yeah. football at the, at the high school or college level um, or in professional sports, and that would include hockey, which I'm a fan of, but, but the concussion thing is a, is a big deal. But it's, it's a slowly evolving problem, and so it doesn't really fit well into 24-7 media 
media narratives. It fits into longer time frames, but it's hard for it to get as much visibility if it doesn't have sort of, I mean, the moments when people hear the most about it is, say, after an autopsy of a well-known athlete who's found out to have suffered serious brain damage from their professional career. Um, or committed mm-hmm. suicide or something, something that's, you know, profoundly media-centered, and then there's a lot of attention on it. But again, it's sort of like the longer protracted stuff is a little bit harder for the, for the media to cover. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, to their own, to their own detriment to some extent, it's, it's, it really is a question of creativity that would get you to be in a position so you kind of knew what was going on. Well, we are coming so, to the end of our time. Is okay, there... so I have one last trivia Let's question for you. If today, and again, this will be over by the time you hear this, you wanted to hear Donald Trump speak at Davos, what would it cost you to go? Ooh. Um, $10,000. You're, you're only off by a factor of seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, is he speaking? Is that the, true? Uh, so yeah, he's supposed to be okay. speaking, and I don't know if he had to pay seventy one thousand dollars to go, or we did, or if, the taxpayers or if, yeah, did, or, yeah. or if you got to pay for that. Thank goodness that we opened up the government, yeah, so he can. So he several can, levels of done. membership, basic level, which will get you one invitation to Davos, cost fifty thousand Swiss francs, or about fifty two thousand dollars. The ticket itself, another nineteen thousand dollars plus tax, bringing the total to membership and entrance fee to seventy one thousand dollars, which is. Kind of awesome. There, 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 there was a journalist, um, and this is this is kind of uh, again another interesting media-related thing because there was a journalist who was on National Public Radio yesterday talking. He's been covering Davos for ten years, and as time has passed, he said it's become much more segregated, so that the media people have their own little again pen. I like to call them pens because they're they actually the term that they use does actually have pig terminology in it in terms of where they put the media. But it it basically stops the media from kind of wandering in and interacting with all of the people who are are at Davos uh, who have paid the $71,000. So... Uh, it's an interesting thing, and you know, for for those of you who are bent toward conspiracy theories, this one's way out in the open. But you know, it's kind of where the movers and shakers and powerful people go to play, and we'll find out uh, and you, later today. You know how um, uh, how our fearless leader fares. Uh, he's also supposed to be having some meetings with other world leaders, including some of the world leaders of places that he is referred to as some kind of a hole. I don't remember exactly what the term was, but, mm, yeah. but not, not a nice kind of not hole, a, nice you know, a, a bad hole. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll see how that works too. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, once again, at the for media and the end of the world. We look forward to doing this again next week. Thank you. 